Rod, I'm really excited about our new segment on the show. Yes, a new segment. And today is the day to be included for the first time. And there will be many more after that. Well, considering we've had some pretty amazing guests, this is going to be a great addition. You bet. Oh, by the way, I see we have a guest in our podcast studio today. Yes, yeah, she's a little furry, though. <laughs> <laughs> and her name is? Lucy. Lucy the dog. Yes. Thank you, Lucy, for joining us. Hi, everyone, and here we are celebrating what people love to do creatively by giving them a voice. I'm Rod Jones. And I'm Ingie Jones. Welcome to the Thought Row Show. We invite you to subscribe wherever you listen and check us out on thoughtrowpodcast.com. There you can also listen to episodes so you don't have to go somewhere else. And it's right on our website. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, also, we would love to hear from you. Don't be shy. You can always reach us through the website's contact page and let us know your thoughts. Yes, that's why our show is called Thought Row Podcast, because we would love to hear your thoughts. Well, you know, before I ask you to share your quote, yes, let's introduce our new segment, and it's called, What Are They Up To Now? Yes, I'm pretty excited yes, about that. So what exciting. are they up to now? And I'll tell you what it's about, everybody. Each week, we're going to find one of our previous guests and let you know what they've been up to since they've been on the podcast. And today, we're going to start with Madison Marie McIntosh, mm -hmm. a soprano, mezzo-soprano, opera singer. And she tell us what she's been up to since we last chatted with her. Well, our past guest, Madison Marie McIntosh, will be performing the role of Ruggiero in Alcina's Revamped with Alter Ego Chamber Opera. It's a company that creates performances in new ways that are relatable, raw, experimental, and intimate in order to connect with new audiences, and it changes the ways in which opera can be experienced. This modernized version of Handel's Alcina and English language libretto by Alice Francesca Rosnioi, and I hope I'm saying her name correctly. I think you did so a pretty, pretty good job. That's a tough one. Okay, I, I hope so. It will be presented as part of the Philadelphia Fringe Festival on September 24th and 26th at the Adrian Theater. Later this season, Madison will sing the title role of Rossini's Cinderella with Fargo Moorhead Opera. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. And if you can, you know, don't miss these performances. If you're, if you're anywhere near where you can see these performances, by all means, you should. And I have to say, Madison definitely lives a, a creative life. Yes, she does. And so what else is Madison up to? Yes. Not, not only does she have that going on, but she is also beginning a musical collaboration with Gray Team. And that is a Florida-based nonprofit that strives to eliminate PTSD-related veteran suicides. It's called Voices of Valiant, and they will select composers to set poems written by veterans. Uh, Madison recently premiered the first song of VOV, and its name is It's Only When I Close My Eyes by poet William J. Toll and composer and pianist Gary Coda in a concert at Gray Team. Veterans and composers who are interested in finding out more information can list, uh, visit, not listen, but visit voicesofthevaliant.org. You know, Madison is definitely living creatively. Yes, she and is. I have a lot of respect for her. And as a veteran myself, I really appreciate how she's working with Voices of the Valiant. Yes. Um, and congratulations to her on her role as Cinderella. Yes. That'll be so much fun for her, I know. Okay. So now let's hear your quote, Ingie. Okay. So my quote this week, this episode is, nothing can make our life or the lives of others more beautiful than perpetual kindness. And that quote is by Leo Tolstoy. It's interesting to me how many of the people that we've interviewed on our show are perpetually, they're perpetuating 
Perpetually they, perpetuating yeah, kindness. Perpetually yeah, perpetually perpetuating kindness. Yes, they are. I, they're, they're always giving, and I, and I think that's why they receive so much in return. Well, I know they certainly have been kind to us on our show by making themselves available to be interviewed, right. and they've been very supportive. So we greatly appreciate that. Right on, right on. Well, now it's going to be your turn, Rod. We're ready for Rod's motivational moments. Well, I don't know how motiv- Well, I guess this is motivational. Uh-huh. When you wake up in the morning to start our day, your day, our day, yeah. you generally set the stage for how it's going to be. You may want to adjust your attitude accordingly. Boy, isn't that the truth? I, you know, if you wake up on the, you know, the wrong side of the bed, <laughs> the proverbial wrong side <laughs> the of the bed, the proverbial wrong side of the bed. I mean, it really does affect your whole day. Well, you know, a lot of you could wake up with a headache, and that always is difficult, or allergies, which are really difficult, right? Or like you said, taking allergy or taking medication. Allergy medication—that's the worst for or me. Or you're running late for work, or you're trying to get the kids off to school, or they're being difficult, or you ran out of cereal. You have to go to your hamper to pull out something you should have washed a week earlier so you have something to wear. Yeah. But, you know, you made a comment also about paying it forward. Oh, when we were talking earlier, that's so true. I think that, you know, if you're paying it forward with kindness, there's just so much out there of kindness to give and receive. And it's like when people are, are doing the Starbucks line where you're paying for the guy behind you and it keeps on going. I know there in around our area, people tend to do that a lot. And I know that puts a smile on someone's face, puts them in a good mood and makes them feel loved. And there's nothing better. Yeah. If you're not familiar with the, the pay it forward, Google it. It's really an interesting concept. It's been around for several years, but so many people practice it. I mean, I've been exposed to it myself. I mean, I've actually been mm-hmm. in a line and then I get up to pay for my stuff and the uh, okay. server says, hey, you don't have to pay for this. And I go, oh yeah, well, it's my lucky day. And they go, no, <laughs> the person before you paid you. for it. And they go, well, then I better pay it for the person behind me. Right. Yeah. So Well, um, speaking, well, we're on the subject of having a good or great attitude in life. Let's bring on our guest. Okay, yeah. Today we're going to be speaking with Chess Brodnick, and he's a psychotherapist and an artist. And both of those talents require creative strength. And in his case, he is definitely yeah. creative and definitely strong. Yes. Chess, welcome to the Thought Row podcast. We know our listeners are going to be really fascinated oh, yeah. about your creative background. It's very interesting. Yes. Hi, Chess. It's so good to have you with us today. Well, hello. It's great to be here. I'm really excited about talking about this. It's a, it's a subject that I got a great deal of interest in. So let's go. Okay, right. cool. Well, before we officially get started with the interview, we always ask our guests what they had for breakfast. Now, I realize that we're actually doing this interview in the afternoon, so you have to remember back to morning. Well, that'll be easy because we, we were on our 16-hour fast today, so I had nothing for breakfast. Oh, are okay. you doing that intermittent fasting? Yeah, we do, it, we do it three days a week. Okay. How does that work for you? Do you find you have energy? Yeah, I, that's fine. Yeah, it, it works fine. Oh, cool. Okay. Very curious about that. Well, we're going to start with this. Yeah. You're an artist and a psychotherapist, but before we get into what that actually means and discuss it, tell us a little bit about your background, where you're from, where did you grow up, you know, all the, all the detail stuff. Well, sure. Right now I live in, we live in Toluca Lake, California. It's a a suburb of Los Angeles near Hollywood. I grew up for 14 years on the outskirts of Buffalo, New York, in a uh, small working class area, close to a lot of farms in the woods, which in, in lakes and streams, which was great. For oh, nice. Up. Yeah, mm, sure. Pretty. In those days, we, you know, there weren't 
wasn't all this helicopter parenting. We used to just go out and my parents would see me for lunch. They'd see me for dinner and bedtime. And that was it. I was outside <laughs> all the rest of the time. Yeah. Wasn't that wonderful? I mean, I know at the, <laughs> yes. when it was time for dinner, my dad, for whatever reason, had a very powerful whistle and he would go right. out and just put his two fingers in his mouth. However, people do that. And then yep. all the kids in the neighborhood go, oh, it's time for Rod to go home for dinner. And then it <laughs> must be our dinner time, too. So that's great that you got to grow yep. up that way. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I had a lot of, you know, fun interests, lots of imaginative stuff. And I think it was, and I'll get into that when you ask me a few other questions, but it, it had to do with my family background and a place of safety to go to, to go to internally, mm-hmm. um, which was pretty crucial for me. And crucial later as a therapist and as an artist. I loved movies. I used to love to go to watch science fiction movies, sleep over with my friends, outside all the time. I used to do a little bit of drawing, but not a lot. I had a, a fair hand, so I would sort of push that. But I was busy with action. I was doing things more than uh, reading or, or anything else. Well, that's what boys do, right? Yeah, boys like to yeah, yeah. be more kinetic, I guess, yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, along the way, it, it sounds at some point you made the decision to become a psychotherapist and an artist. Yes. Yeah. Right. Let's start with why you decided to become a psychotherapist. Well, you know, it, the interesting thing is I think the seeds for being a psychotherapist were set when I or sown when I was two or three years of age. And that sounds odd, but let me explain. My family was... Uh, in a lot of turmoil. My parents fought tremendously and they fought violently. And I was really able to, at a very early age, look at their faces, listen to their voices and their body language and see when fights were about to develop. And that was important because sometimes I had the role of sort of getting in the way and stopping it. So my senses were honed at a pretty early age and that stuck with me. So you know, I can walk into a room and I can read it and I can look at people fairly quickly and sort of see what they're feeling and see what they're, they're thinking. It's sometimes it, it's great for my profession, but sometimes it's a curse because you don't want to see a lot of this thing. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah, that would be yeah exactly. So, you know, and, and then later my mother would take me and I was her confidant. She'd tell me all the problems with my father. And so I became a good listener and I could do that with friends. How it came to be that, that it, it morphed into an interest in psychology was senior year. I had a wonderful English professor um, in my senior year, and it was all liter- literature-based. And we studied uh, all kinds of great literature, and Macbeth came up, and we had to read Macbeth. And he thought it would be fun because there's a lot of psychological stuff like Lady Macbeth's hand washing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. With obsessive yes. compulsive disorder and Macbeth's inability to act. And he thought, you know, this would be fun if we looked at this from a Freudian perspective. And I really never heard of Freud before, but he sort of outlined this. And we had to do a paper on that. And we also had to illustrate the paper. So I had a blast just, you know, analyzing Macbeth. When it came time to go to college, I I was not very academically oriented and had not a lot of interest in that thing, but I I was going to go to college, no doubt about it. So I picked my major as psychologist because, oh, that'd be fun. So that's how psychology came into play. As I began to study it, though, I was really sort of intrigued with the more dramatic aspects of it and the more out there, edgy kinds of things. A lot of my activities have always been sort of going to the edge. And there's a place there when when you're out in an edge where you have to focus. I mean, you really focus very strongly. And that to me is where sort of creativity comes in and and you can hone it there. So as I was going along, the very dramatic psychoses and emotive kinds of uh, disorders really became interesting to me. And that's what I began to focus on. And that's what my career is made of, treating people with very severe mental illness. It's an interesting path that you had taken, especially when you consider how you grew up and the relationship that you had with your parents. I think during that period of time, there were a lot of parents out there that did argue a lot. And, oh, yeah. And I, I know it just seemed to be, maybe it's because 
they weren't both working, they both didn't have jobs and they weren't dealing with other issues. And then unfortunately, I think the children are the ones that in your case, you turned it into a positive thing. Mm-hmm. And and unfortunately, and I don't need to tell you this, there's probably been oh, yeah. millions of children that have been affected by that, that they carry those scars with them throughout their life. I suspect some of the patients that you have to deal with probably came from a similar background as yours. Sometimes, yes. And uh, all those things, and you can see that as, as, yeah, it was not not fun growing up. It was painful. But boy, it really honed a lot of things with me. It, it allowed me to go deep inside myself and find a place of safety. And fantasy was that place. So while I'm watching all this stuff erupt, I'm going deep into myself to protect myself emotionally from all this stuff. And that's an important thing uh, when you're doing therapy too, because you have to be involved, but you have to have of sort of a pullback. You have to have a sense of detachment so you don't overreact and you don't do things that are dangerous to yourself or the client. Yeah, you need well, a safe are, place, right? Yeah, that a would safe be place in your own yeah. soul and psyche. Well, yeah, to detach. Absolutely. To detach yeah, is ab- tough. Yeah, it, well, you have to be uh, detached and involved at the same time. And again, all the fun activities that, that I was interested in growing up had that same quality. Walking out on an edge having this focus, being in control of your emotions and acting. I mean, being able to act and do something, mm-hmm. it, w- it was part and parcel of it. And that, I think, kind of saved me from a lot of difficulties. Well, apparently it was your destiny. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Really, it was. But before we get into your work as a portrait artist, what kind of people do you treat in your psychotherapy? We treat people with severe mental illness. In other words, diagnoses of schizophrenia, uh, manic depressive, bipolar, severe depression, things of that nature. Sometimes some people with Asperger's Mm -hmm. and some other things. But these are the people who have been spent most of their adult lives in state hospitals. They've been locked away and basically mm-hmm. forgotten about. They're, 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 this is the most difficult end of the population. What we can't do are people who are, are seriously violent because we treat these people in an open setting. They're not locked up when they come to us. Mm-hmm. So what we do is we bring them out of these restricted environments, put them in an open setting, work with them on a daily basis, and we've got a great staff to do that, and help to get them to understand their symptoms There's no cure for this, unfortunately, but we can help them to manage their symptoms, to lead better and more productive lives, and to reintegrate them back out into the community. We take them right out into the community to have all kinds of activities and and work with them as they're going along with that. So it's pretty interesting, and it really works. We've made a lot of difference in a lot of lives. We don't have success all the time, mm-hmm. but a lot of, a lot of success with this, with this. Gosh. You know, you mentioned as you're growing up, you went internally, you had the safe place and you rationalized what was going on on the outside world, but also maybe to a degree built your own, I don't want to use the word fantasy, but your own self-awareness. Let's use that. Your own self-awareness. Yeah, I- yeah, self-awareness, but fantasy too, because while I was aware of myself, I needed a place to get away from this stuff. Right. So while it's happening, you know, I'm, I'm turning myself into Tarzan or, the, or uh, you know, some space person, you know, whatever it was, just to sort of get away from that total intensity at the moment while it's going on. So, and, and that was, uh, that allowed me to, to, to get a focus and a healthy focus to be able to focus something and then be able to use it to act, to help in this situation to get in the way of my parents. Because if I'm Tarzan, I can do this sort of thing. I can get in the way of my father when he's trying to hit my mother and and that sort of thing. So that was... It also, as you're sharing those experiences with us, it seems to me that that was the uh, birth of your creativity because our discussion with you is going to be about your art and Mm -hmm. and how you ended up with your art. But it's pretty interesting that that you you were exploring your imagination at a very young age, and that imagination has carried you forward. I know both Inchi and I have had the opportunity to see your provocative art and your portraits, and I'd like to know what do you find so fascinating about painting 
or drawing people's faces. Now, I have to tell people that we will talk about this later because we want people to see your art. I, I, when I first discovered it, I was uh, amazed. It, it's very intriguing. But you seem to focus on people's faces. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's an interesting story, too. My earliest memory, I have memories, visual memories, going back to probably two to three months of age. I remember at my, I'm in my I'm no, no verbal attached to this, but I'm at my grandmother's house in a preambulator, and I'm looking up, and I can see the pictures on her wall, these photographs, and I see two faces coming in over. I'm assuming, I don't know who they are. I'm assuming they're aunt and an uncle, and they're looking at me. And that's my first memory, and it's visual, and mm. it's faces. So, so, I mean, that stuck with me. And then needing to see my parents' faces when they were doing these things, to be able to read them, to sense when these fights were coming up, the face became pretty intriguing to me. And it really shows, you know, what's going on with a person. So it's also a difficult thing to, to paint or to draw, to get all the proportions right. And I like difficulty. So I think it was just a natural for me to be drawn to faces that I could really do something with a face and really show me and, and basically what a lot of life experience is about by, by focusing on a, on a face and a portrait. Well, you know, we don't mm. need to tell you this, but there's what, more muscles in a human face than anywhere else? And, exactly. and the expressions could be, what's the word, juxtaposed? Juxtaposed, right. huh? Into so many different happy, sad, mean. Well, also like nuances, like, like when we watch some of the older movies where you see like 20 different expressions in one little moment Actor, yeah. in an actress or an actor. That's really it, very it, telling. Exactly. And, and that's fascinating to me. And I, I love to watch movies and I love to, to do that. Mm -hmm. um, look at the actor's motivation. Look at to see what the subtext is. I mean, I've been doing that mm -hmm. all my life with people. And it's so interesting to see it. And then I want to portray it. I want to draw it. I want to paint it. I want to, I want to put it down mm -hmm. because it, it really moves me. And so I want to take that, change it up inside me and put it out in a new way. That's interesting. I mean, we, we yeah. recently saw this small documentary on the silent movies and those actors and actresses had to do everything by facial expression. Yeah, That's how they were conveying yeah. everything. And it's interesting. At least I see a strong Time, correlation, yeah. Yeah, correlation between your art and your psychotherapy and the fact the way you grew up and how you witness people's expressions change. Angie, I know you have a question to follow up on this one. Well, you know, how did you end up focusing on making portraits of yourself? And like Rod said, I think some of them can be disturbing, but I, I know that, you know, given your history, that there is a story behind this. No, absolutely. I, you know, originally when I w I've been interested in art for a long time, I went through various phases and for a long time, I was doing a lot of photorealism things. Yeah. And then my business uh, went through some slumps and I had to sort of back away from art and I got into some other activities and things that were fun. When I came back to art, I was like, I don't want to copy photographs. I want to learn to draw and paint from life. Mm -hmm. And so what I did, and I, and I wasn't terribly skilled at doing that. So what I did was for two years, I sat down in front of a mirror and I did nothing but draw my face, not in any strange way, but with all these different draw from the side, from up, from down, from many, many different angles and views. And I did that for two years until I developed my skills. And one day I thought, you know, okay, I, I can draw this now. What am I going to do with this? You know, I, I could paint portraits and stuff, but it wasn't capturing me wasn't interesting so I played I, I took my drawing pad and I drew my eye and I drew a slash and I drew something else and I go whoa what's this and that was it I mean a spark hit me and it was like okay there's a mine here that that just has a never-ending source to it so that was it. I was sort of a flash of inspiration to, to make this change after just mundanely drawing my face for two years well, that is, I mean, not very many artists have that kind of commitment. And painting the human face is one of the most difficult things to capture. There have been some incredibly great portrait artists. And there have been oh, portrait yeah. artists that have taken the human face 
and converted it to some of the most bizarre ways. Yeah. Your your stuff stands on its own, I have to say. You, you know, you commented about artists' psychology, psychological images and how they emerge in startling ways. Could you share with us your thoughts on that? Well, I think I was talking about myself, but I think other uh, people as well. I think that when you, anytime uh, when I look at somebody's art, they're usually doing a self-portrait, no matter what it is. If it's a landscape or an abstract, they're basically painting themselves. And so when people are doing, you take a look at a Rembrandt, for example, and you look at his portraits, he's painting the likeness there. But you can see, if you look at his self-portraits, you can see transposition from his eyes to his subject's eyes. There's that light in both of them. So he's basically you know, painting himself in this likeness of another person and that's psychological you know you're 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 projecting yourself onto this and you can't help it as an artist and that to me is really interesting is that something that you learned along the way or is that part of observations is that something you your your own thoughts yeah Yeah. from your profession oh for me it's observation i mean in my interest in art i've spent god countless hours in museums and I, i have a an incredible library of artist books. And so I pour over these images and I look for these connections and I, because I want to learn and I want to learn from the best. So I, I try to not just look at how they've painted and uh, use their brushstrokes, use their eyes, but what they did with their minds to come up with what they did. Try to follow that thought process. Mm-hmm. Well, when you read their life stories, they, they've had a lot of them have had their own issues growing up yeah, or and, and it has impacted their art or it was a, a way to escape. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's artists out there that use creativity in general as a way to escape the everyday toils of life. Right. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a place that I love to live. Creativity is is it's a life force for me, and I and I can't not have it in my life. And if I'm an observer or if I'm a doer, there has to be creativity there, or it's just not interesting. Well, that's right. why we knew you would be a perfect guest on our podcast. Exactly. So, what are you going to say? I was going to say, and I see in your art both realism and abstraction. Is there a reason why you create this way? Well, absolutely. First of all, the realism is going to give us sort of a, a base, a touchstone where people can relate to that realistically. But the abstraction is where you can take something and, and push it to the edge and sometimes push it over the edge. And that to me is, is what's really interesting. I like to bet, you know, you can bend the rules with the abstraction. You can throw the rules out and create your own. You you can take it to a place that's just you, go as deep as you want to go. And that just turns me on. That's what I want to do. And that's what I'm trying to do with my work to to make an impact mm-hmm. that has a realistic uh, message to it, but is abstract in the sense that I'm taking you to some place you haven't been before and let's go there. You know, I I often say when people make a comment about my art, I always say it's experimental. Every single thing that I paint, and I'm sure that's the same for you. I know it's the same for Angie mm-hmm. and the same for you, Chess, that I think everything that you've created artistically has just been an experiment. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's play. You know, it's, it's more than an experiment. It's play. When I oh, sit I like down that. and... When, when I sit down and I, sometimes I'll have a, a clear image in my mind of what I want to do and what I want to say, but many times I don't. And I'll generally start with an eye and that eye will tell me something. It's got a different expression each time. And my emotions and stuff of where I want to go with it will sort of dictate. Then it'll, it'll tell me, do I want to put the nose straight on? Do I want to bend the nose? What do I want to do? I want to fracture this? And I'll start to draw a line to do that. And that line is the play. And that tells me the direction of where it's going to go. And one thing suggests another. And then I've got this whole intriguing thing that I have to tie together. And that's the fun part. That's where the abstraction comes in. That's where the flow of, of line and shade and form come together. And it surprises me sometimes, and uh, it always comes out in an interesting way. And so it's it's play. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to ask you a question that I hate to ask people. I hate it when people ask me this question. But when we chatted before we did this podcast, 
we talked about a couple of different artists, and I made a reference to one in particular that, to some degree, your art is a little bit like this particular artist. Is there any artist that you feel has helped you in the way you've developed your style, or have you really come to your own terms with your style? Well, I've come to my own terms, but I've stolen a lot. And I think all artists do that. I mean, I've stolen directly, I was very influenced much by Francis Bacon and Picasso's work, especially his work around the time that he, he painted Guernica with the, the juxtapositions of the faces and mm-hmm. things of that sort. But every other artist, you know, Vermeer, Rembrandt, Goya, all these people, I steal from. I steal their, their compositions. And unabashed at saying that I think but what happens is it gets mixed into me and it comes out as me so it's you can see the references and you can see references from Bacon to Picasso but then Bacon became himself in imitating Picasso originally and that's kind of what I've done and I think a lot of artists do that you know I I don't think you're stealing when you do that Chess I think I do (laughs) I don't don't think you are and I'll tell you why because you are making it your unique style. I mean, I've seen people, you know, when you look on Instagram, I'm sure you have too, where they just take it like dictation. They'll just flat out make it exactly like Picasso or exactly like Monet. They're pirate. With you, it's kind of cool because you're taking it and you're getting inspired and then you make an evolution for your own style. So that's really cool. It's part of our education. It's part of your education. It's so cool. Absolutely. Yeah. These people have inspired me and then I jump with it, but I, I, I have to only jump into myself, you know, and mm-hmm. that's where it's, if, it, if I wasn't doing it from me, I wouldn't be interested in it and I'd be bored with it and I wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. So. Well, you'd be taking dictation. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Considering your professional life, and we suspect that could be pretty demanding and draining, especially based on some of the things that yeah. you've told us. Has your art become a form of therapy for yourself? Definitely not. <laughs> Interestingly so. You'd think it might be, but yeah, no. I would, th- I would yeah. immediately say, oh, yes, I, I escape into my art to unload <laughs> all of the angst that I deal with during the day. Right. No, even if I didn't have that angst, even if I'm on vacation, sometimes when I'm in the most relaxed is when I want to create the most. So, no, it's not a form of escape. Art and creativity for me is a must. It's, I, I can't not do it. And it's not an escape. And I'm going to do a little quick follow-up there. You have mentioned your soulmate, your wife. Is she very supportive of your art and your creativity? And does she uh, paint? No, but she's a writer. And uh, she is very supportive. Yeah, and she, you know, loves the arts. We both love to watch. We go to plays when we could and uh, yeah. movies yeah. and ballet and, and all of that. And we're, we just you know, pour over that kind of stuff and literature and reading and discuss all that. No, she's, she's the best and absolutely just right, right in there with me. Well, that's great. You both have share that creative yes, drive and, or thought or and thinking. You, and you get to nurture one another that way. Yeah. Cause right. she could support absolutely. your art and you can support her writing. That's yeah. the perfect that's relationship. Right. I think. Right and you're obviously very creative and skilled as an artist. So how, how does your work fuel your emotions and how do you transmute them into your creativity? Well, oh, that's a good question. I would say that my emotions and my art are linked. And when I'm feeling something or remembering an event that I want to portray, mm-hmm. it takes me, the emotions are there, but they need to be channeled. So it's going in, taking those emotions and taking them deep inside of me, like I did when I was a kid, and putting a focus on it. What is it that I want to say? What am, what exactly am I feeling? And how does that make me see what I want to put down there? And so, of course, it influences it. I mean, all of my my work is all about emotions right. and the effect of of life on me. So. It, it's, you know, definitely directly related. Okay. When, you, when you're in your practice and you're treating patients, do you think about your art at that time? Well, I think about the creativity 
I don't always have the time to do that. There are very strange things that happen in my work in, in terms of where the clients and, and I have to go sometimes because they have this profound thought disorder and the creativity and the flexibility that I have from doing the kind of artwork that I do really uh, translates into how I'm going to approach this client and get inside their head to make a difference. And that's an interesting process and sometimes scary and sometimes lots of fun. And I could tell you some stories about that if you want to hear them. Yeah, sure. Let's yeah. Give, give us a story. We have time and, and this is fascinating. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely fascinating. <laughs> okay, well, I think I had mentioned this once before in our conversation. I had a client who wouldn't speak to anybody. He came to us, wouldn't talk to anybody. If you asked him a question or tried to get him to talk about his experiences, he would just clam up. And in his report, it said that he just felt that he was from Mars and he wouldn't talk to anybody because he didn't feel that he related. So nobody could get him to do any sort of talking and being the, the kind of guy that I am. And, mm -hmm. and these are the things that my wife taught me in terms of doing therapy. I thought, I need to take a different approach. So I walk into the room with him and I said, you know what? I went to Mars last night. And I looked you up. I went to the Hall of Records and I made up some name. And I said, and they don't oh know gosh. you. You've, <laughs> never, you, you, you've never been there. And I started rattling off about, do you know the, the Bula Blabla uh, Cafe near the, the, the bend in the what you call it canal? I went into detail, just making it up as I'm going along. And his eyes are starting to get wide. And he's <laughs> looking at me and he doesn't know what to do. Hmm. And, I, and I, I didn't let him talk. And I just, I did this for like a half an hour. I said, okay, you know what? I'll see you tomorrow. And I just left it. And I came back the next day and he was a little agitated. And I went through the same rigmarole with him. And they did this for about two or three weeks mm -hmm. until finally he started to talk to me. If he tried to challenge me on any of this stuff, I'd say, no, you're wrong. I'd give him a bunch of reasons why. And pretty soon he began to talk to me in a more rational and reasonable way. And it turned out, you know, that he felt this real sense of alienation. He grew up with that. It was mm. put down in school. And when the psychosis hit, it magnified all this stuff. Oh, my God. So these are the kinds of things that, um, that happen, and you have to be creative to deal with it. There's another client that I have that, that I draw his portrait. And this was an interesting guy. When he first came to us, he wouldn't let anybody get near to him. He had to be like six feet away from him at all times. And he was yelling constantly, 24 hours a day, practically not sleeping. And it was driving everybody nuts. And he kept yelling that he needed to talk to God. So I walked into his room and as loud as I could, and in a commanding voice, I said, I'm God, what do you want? And he said, finally, he started, <laughs> to, tell me. He started to tell me all of his problems. And I listened. And the next day I came in and, and I said, I'm God, here I am. What do you want today? I, and I also told him, you have to stop yelling. So he did. So the next day I came in, he said, you know what? He said, you're not God. You're an archangel. Oh. Okay. I'm, 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 I'm being demoted, which is good, which is what you sure, want. Sure, sure. Yeah. So we, we go talk about that. And pretty soon I'm just an angel. Then I'm the head of the CIA. Then I'm an FBI agent. Then I'm a, a detective. And then I'm his therapist. And this, this takes place over, over a very long period of time. So it's going where he was going. Now, he still holds a lot of these crazy delusions, and it's hard for him to focus. Yeah. And he's got a really strong ego. So I said to him one day, sit down, I'm going to draw you. And it was good practice for me because I was working on just pen and ink sketches, and I don't have a good hand, so mm -hmm. this is good training. So I'm drawing him, and, and I ask him when it's done, because he's all over the place saying these crazy things. And I show him the portrait and he says, wow. And he's telling me what he's feeling when I'm drawing it. So, okay, mm -hmm. this is interesting. So he asked me to do it again. So 300 drawings later, <laughs> drawing focuses him. When I'm drawing, it focuses and gets him away from all this crazy stuff. Then he can tell me about his day and his actuality and what he's, what he's doing. And it's been you know, pretty impactful for him. So I combined art and therapy. I got, we both got something out of it. I got much better at, at, at drawing portraits and, and he gets some help and, and contact. And that's what therapy is all about. It's about making a connection. 
um, you say and do all these things. Have you used your, have you, Chase, have you used that technique with your clients in other cases? Were you actually drew? Were you actually we were drawing drew them, them and drawing then them? having them? No, no. A couple of times they've asked me to do it, but this was a specific thing to help them to focus. Right. And I, I haven't needed to because generally a lot of my clients are kind of wrapped up in themselves and, you know, they, they either won't talk about anything or they're really ready to spill everything. And so there's just not enough time and it would be distracting to do that. Mm. But the creativity, the creativity of doing it allows me to get inside their heads. I can see that. And so did you ever leave what you were doing all day and then come home and then just immediately pick up your pen and paper and draw something that you actually saw or witnessed? Every day. <laughs> every day <laughs> that happens. I'm stimulated. I do, I do artwork every day. Uh, not all you know the time when I'm here, but it, there's not a day that goes by that I don't. And so, yes, I come home and I let the day absorb and and sort of see what really pops up, what's pushing underneath it needs to come out. And I'll sit down and I'll start to draw. And yes, definitely, half of my stuff is just what happened during the day and how it impacted me. And from several different sources, several different clients have impacted me in different ways. And that'll come out in the drawing. And does that help you deprogram yourself at the end of the day? No, it, you know, we become pretty adept at once somebody leaves the office, we shut it down. And it, it, we're pretty good at that, just shifting gears. I've always been a good gear shifter in my head to get away from, if I can't do something about something, I shift gears. Well, you know, I have to tell people, both Inji and I encourage people to take a look at your artwork on Instagram. Actually, that's where I first discovered yeah, you. Yeah, and then Not you a, told me about yeah, it. And so I then told, I looked at I told her daughter work. about it. Mm -hmm. And I was fascinated by what I saw. We, we've been to museums all over the world. We understand art reasonably well, if anybody can actually understand art. And I was fascinated by what I saw. And... And the people that have an opportunity to take a look at your artwork on your website, which is very good, and we'll mention that later, uh, they're going to be, in my opinion, they're going to be amazed at what they see. And especially the faces, the the fractured or abbreviated portraits that you've done. Can you, can you this is going to be tough, can you paint a mental picture for our listeners as to what they will see? Good luck on that one. <laughs> That's a lot to, and, and, and I'm not a wordsmith, so bear with me here. Mm -hmm. Well, I think what you're going to see when you first look at this is a wow, and then a huh? And by that, I mean, you're going to see something that you're not expecting. It's like, what's going on here? You're going to start to look a little closer, and you're going to see that one eye has moved off to a different direction. I mean, 180 degrees off to another direction. And the nose is sort of bent and maybe fractured and, and put into different places. And the mouth has, doesn't connect, and maybe there's two mouths into one. And yet it all sort of flows together in, in a moment. And it's disorienting. But at the same time, it kind of opens you up to some feelings that you might have had when you, what, what's happening there in these paintings is I'm distilling an event. And if you look at events, and especially dramatic events in your life, they don't come at you in a reel. You might see things from different viewpoints and angles and distortions. And that's what I'm trying to do in one moment. In other words, all these things that are happening to coalesce them into one moment, and it's going to be fractured. And those fracturings make sense to me. And they may make sense to other people. They may frighten them. They may disorient them. But you're going to be taken someplace, and that's what I'm trying to do, to, to take, because I've taken myself someplace to do it. And I just want to show the human condition and what's underneath the human condition, not just the face of it. I'd, I'd say you did a pretty good job yeah. explaining that, but you, you painted a, a pretty good uh, picture with words, but people are really going to have to see the, your work. Yeah, I think you really have to view it for yourself. Yeah, I mean, that's what art's all about anyway. It really right? is. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. So what would you like to convey with your art 
to the viewer, when you when someone stumbles upon your Instagram or your website, what would you like them to to get from it? I like for people to look underneath, I guess, to take the skin away, mm-hmm. because that's what the abstraction is about. Um, in my thing, I'm, I'm showing my insides. I'm showing my thought and emotional process, and I think that it's important for people, especially in this day with all that we've been through to look underneath at ourselves, to look at what the impact of life is. Because when you know what's happened to you, when you see what's happened to you, you have two choices. You can either succumb to it or you can do something about it. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to show the fact that if you look at it, you can do something about it. That's what I'm doing with my art. I'm doing something with the events in my life. I'm portraying them, but I'm portraying them in in a way that's hopefully instructive, Interesting, yeah. um, that sort of thing. Okay, all right. Well, I'm going to ask you this question that we like to ask people. In five words or less, what would your advice be to people that want to live or be more creative? Because you certainly are. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess I could do it in four words, and that would be be yourself and go. And when I, when I mean go, I mean act do it, be yourself and, and put it out there. Very good. That's really good. Yeah. I think too often we psych ourselves out of just starting the process of being creative. And even if you just make a little baby step each day towards something that you want to do creatively, mm-hmm. like you obviously have, especially all the time you spent teaching yourself, which I greatly admire that. Yeah, That's been too. quite, uh, that's really Quite a good thing. inspirational, yeah. really, because, yeah. you know, I think that so many people criticize themselves and you you really can't do that with creativity and with art because it's really just your expression. That's right. And that's what I mean by go. I mean, you've got a blank paper, blank canvas, mm-hmm. blank anything, and it's up to you to make something out of it. And that's what creativity is. Creativity is action. It's not passive. You know, it's it's moving it's it's taking yourself and doing something with it which makes something new so true so true but now we're going to ask you a question we ask all of our guests and i'm always fascinated by the answers and that is if you could sit on a park bench and chat with anyone from the past who would it be well (laughs) i'll start out with saying i would probably want to spend time with my grandmother, my mother, my father, my brother and sister, all who are deceased, and just go over my life with them and their lives. But I think you're asking for more of a professional or, or famous kind of a person. And so that person to me, I think, would be Jan Vermeer. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's not much known about him. and I'd really like to probe him on how he was able to miraculously paint the air in a room and to paint the stillness that says so much I'd like to look over his shoulder how he did it. And you look at his painting style, it's tremendously realistic, but the paint isn't like it's photographically put on. There, there's, there, there, there are daubs and, and, and blobs to it, and it all coalesces into magic. And I'd want to talk to him about how he did that, and I'd like to find out what his inspirations were, what his life was like, what his torments were. So he'd be the one I'd want to spend time with. Well, you know, Vermeer's been very popular answer in this question. I want to go back, though, to something you said about having the opportunity to sit down with your grandparents, your mother, your father, your brother. What do you think, if you showed them your art and your creativity, what do you think their impression would be? Would they be proud? Would they be curious would they go we can't believe you do this what do you think they would think oh yeah they would definitely be proud they were well well, my house was in a crazy terminal they were tremendously supportive of me so i had that yes they 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 probably wouldn't understand it my father wouldn't understand it at all but he'd be amazed by it and he'd be probably asking me questions like you know What's, man, what's the matter with you? <laughs> but, in a, but in a funny way, he had a good sense of humor. Yeah. Uh, my mother would be tremendously supportive. My brother would love what I did, and my sister would as well. So yeah, they they would they would they would get me. They might not get the art, but they would get me doing it. 
Oh, that's great. That's a great answer. That's an excellent answer. Really? And I'm so happy that would be the case. Yeah. You know, it's unfortunate that we can't go back and visit our parents and let them see what we've accomplished. And I think we all like to think that they're going to be proud of us. I know mine would be, and I'm mm-hmm. sure yours would be extremely proud of what you're doing. You're not only very talented as an artist, but you're helping mankind. You're helping people. Yeah, definitely. And that that's, uh, should be very rewarding. It is. Very much so. Very much so. Well, Chess, we're coming up to our end here. You're very much living an interesting and creative life. And we're so glad you're able to share some of that with us and our listeners. I mean, this has been a fascinating discussion. You were very open, which we greatly appreciate. And some of the things that you shared, and probably also very importantly, is we want people to go check your website website out out. and your Instagram. And I agree with Ron. Such an interesting and creative life. And I want to let everyone know, our listeners, if you'd like to know more about Chess, we will have links for him under the show guest tab on thoughtrowpodcast.com so everyone can learn more about him. And please connect with him on social media and check out his website. Yeah, you want to do that. Yes, Chess, thanks again for being with us today. And we have so enjoyed this conversation with you. Well, thank you. I mean, it was an absolute pleasure. I wish we had, you know, four or five more hours because there's a lot of stuff we could really get into, which would be loads of fun. I mean, this is a tremendous uh, experience for me, and you guys are doing a great job with this, and and it's so interesting. I I love your focus on creativity because it's sort of the the root of things, and you guys are getting to, to the point of what creativity is about. Not that many people talk about it in that way. So this has been exciting. Well, Thank you much. You're very kind. Yes, and as we always kind. like to say, you'll be back. <laughs> oh, anytime. <laughs> anytime. Okay, okay great. great. Thank, Thank you. you, Jess. I'm really glad you tuned in today. We hope you enjoyed the thoughts and ideas we shared with you. We post a new podcast every week, so remember to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. So it's bye for now from my husband Rod and I, wishing everyone a great day. 